This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll tell you a bit about a couple of guys who really hit it big in the late 40s on radio and elsewhere. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. They get the spotlight right after we go back to 1947 for another episode of the Jack Webb-produced Dragnet. Tonight's episode, The Big Rain. Ladies and gentlemen. The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet is brought to you by Chesterfield, made by Liggett and Myers, first major tobacco company to give you a complete line of quality cigarettes. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call that a woman has been badly beaten. The circumstances indicate foul play. Your job? Check it out. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, November 17th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. We were on our way back from the main jail, and it was 11.27 p.m. when we got to room 42. Homicide. We gotta get that car radio fixed, Joe. It's getting worse all the time. Yeah, well, we can take it over in the morning. Thing almost knocked me right out of the seat when I called in tonight. As soon as you press the button, bang, you get a shot. Yeah, when I was out with Lopey yesterday, he picked up the mic. I thought he was gonna climb right out of the window. Yeah, well, that's pretty funny as long as you don't have to use the thing. There must be a short someplace, huh? Gotta get it fixed. You know, I must have used a dollar's worth of dimes calling in today. If this keeps up, I'm gonna have to give up lunches. Well, that wouldn't hurt you either. That's not kind, Joe. I've lost seven pounds in the last two weeks. Where? I'm going to see about a transfer. Well, let's finish up this report so we can get out of here. What do you say? Okay, I'm with you. Hot shot. I get it. There's a robbery call. Bar out in the Olympic. Oh. Thought for a minute we were going to have to go out. All I want to do is get home and get some dry socks on. My feet are killing me. Yeah. Well, I got an idea. If you'll stop talking and pick up a pencil, we can quit on time for a change. Another hot shot. I'll get it. Beating out in Hollywood. Yeah? Woman found her laying in the gutter. She's still alive? Was when they got the call. We better step on it, though. Uh-huh. 
They don't know how long she's going to last. When we got to the address we'd been given by the complaint board, two radio cars from Hollywood Division were already there. An ambulance had arrived, and the crew was doing what they could for the victim. She was still alive, but the attendant said that she appeared to have a skull fracture in addition to possible internal injuries. From one of the officers who answered the call, we found that the victim had been sprawled across the sidewalk, her head in the gutter. Due to the heavy rain, a stream of water was running down and into a storm drain. The fact that the drain was above the victim's head appeared to be the only thing that saved her from drowning. The crime lab had been called, and the men from Hollywood Division were doing what they could to keep the crowd back in order to preserve any physical evidence that might have been left. The victim appeared to be a woman in her early 40s. The clothes she wore looked expensive, but they were badly torn. Her face was cut, and the men in the ambulance crew removed her immediately to Hollywood Emergency Hospital for treatment. An officer was assigned to her in the event she regained consciousness. When she was found, her left shoe was missing, and there was no sign of any purse or wallet. None of the people who'd gathered in the crowd could give us an identification of her. The homes in the vicinity were large, and the area was sparsely populated. The nearest house to the place where the victim was found was at least 300 feet down the street. We talked to the people in the crowd and found that the man who'd made the original call was still supposed to be there. We checked with the officers in the radio unit, but they said they hadn't seen him. From them, however, we found that the call had been from the home of a Mr. and Mrs. Roger Heflin. We contacted them, and they came back to the scene and pointed out the man. Frank and I took him over to our car for questioning. All right, Johnson, you want to tell us what happened? I don't know. You called the police, didn't you? Yeah, I called them. You found her? Yes, sir. She was lying in the street like that. I got scared, and I called the police. I thought maybe she was dead. What were you doing up here this time of night? Just walking around. You live up here, do you? No. Where do you live? Got a room down a fountain. Let me see your identification, will you please? Oh, yeah. Here's my wallet. Any money in it? No. All right, let me have it. Yeah, here you are. This your true name? Cecil August Johnson? Yeah. Who's Mary Johnson? Hmm? I say, who's Mary Johnson? Who's she? My sister. This her address here on the card? Yeah. Hey, you aren't going to call her, are you? You aren't going to call her. Why? She'd be pretty sure about it if you did. She don't like me for me to get mixed up with cops. She don't like it at all. You ever been in an institution? Hmm? State institution. You ever been in one? Yeah. I was in Camarillo once. How long ago did you get out? Oh, long time ago. Three days. Long time ago. I haven't been there for a long time. What were you there for? Molesting people. Who? I was in Camarillo. Why'd they send you there, fella? To get well. From what? Just well. Yeah, we know. What'd they want you to get well from? I was never in Camarillo. You haven't been drinking tonight, have you? Hmm? I said, you've been drinking? Yeah, a little bit. Where? Bar down Highway Boulevard. When they sent you to the hospital, what was the reason? I've never been to the hospital. You told us that you'd been in Camarillo. Well, that was to get well. Well, look, fellow, we asked you before. What for? They thought I was molesting people. Were you? No, I didn't hurt anybody. Did they say you did? Yeah. Who? A lady. They said I hit her. Did you hit her? Huh? I said, did you hit the woman? No, I never hurt anybody. You know who the woman is that you found? You aren't going to call my sister, are you? Do you know who the woman is? What woman? Now, look, fellow, pay attention. The one you found tonight. Yeah, I've known her for a long time. What's her name? Grace. You know her last name? Hmm? Do you know her last name? No. You know, i never really been in camera. I just told you that. That's all why? I don't know. Just sometimes I like to do things like that. I, I don't have no reason. I just like to do it. Like, once I told my sister I killed a man, she almost fainted. I just like to do that once in a while. Things get dull. I like to get them started. Where'd you meet Grace? Bar down in Hollywood. I go in there all the time. I met her there. Did you meet her there tonight? Yeah. yeah. She was there. Said she had a fight with her old man. Said they had a real beef. She told me he hit her. Belted her right in the mouth. 
What do you think of a guy do a thing like that to a woman? Any man do a thing like that, he's no good. No good at all. They said I did it, too. Told my sister I hit a woman. Who said that? Other cops when they arrested me. When was this? When I was at Camarilla to get well. You under a doctor's care now? No. I got real well at Camarilla, real well. They let me go. You just got through telling us that you'd never been there. I'm a liar. You can't believe anything I say. I'm a real liar. My sister's all the time saying that about me. She says I'm a liar. That's one of the reasons she used to get sore at me. I'm such a liar. I was never there. You know where this Grace lived? No. I think it was up on Ledgewood Drive. I think that's where it was, on Ledgewood Drive. You know where the house is? Mm-mm. I never saw it. I was going to go up there one day and punch her old man in the nose. You know, because he hit Grace. I was plenty sore about it. He gave her a black eye. I was plenty sore. But I didn't. You know why? You tell us. Because I thought my sister get mad at me. She always gets mad when I get in fights. And when I lie. She's real sore. Got no sense of humor. Yeah. There's a guy at the hospital who had a real sense of humor. He was funny. He had a piece of inner tube and he wore it like a hat. Floppy, you know? He had a real great sense of humor. But my sister, she don't like anybody to laugh. How many times have you been arrested, fella? Maybe a couple. Here in Los Angeles? Yeah. All the time in L.A. Cops here don't like me. They got no sense of humor. None. I never saw such dull cops. All right, Johnson, you wait here. We've got a few things to check out, and then we want to take you downtown. You aren't going to arrest me, are you? We'll see. Well, I hope not. My sister, she'd be real sore. Johnson? Hmm? Tell me something. Did you hit her? You mean, did I hit Grace? Is that what you mean? That's what I mean. No. I met her tonight, and she asked me to take a walk with her. You take a walk, that's all. Then all of a sudden, she was lying on the ground. I was pretty drunk. I didn't know what happened. Just all of a sudden, she was there, and I got scared, and I called the cops. But I didn't hit her. I wouldn't do a thing like that to Grace, not me. You believe that, don't you? Well, don't you? You gotta buy it. You got it, because it's the truth. Is that right? Sure. It's the truth. Every word. Well, you said it yourself, didn't you? Hmm? You're an awful liar. 12.52 a.m. While well, one of the officers from a radio unit stood by with Cecil Johnson, we talked with Lieutenant Lee Jones from the crime lab. He told us that what footprints they'd found in the immediate vicinity of the victim had been destroyed by the rain. He told us that his crew was unable to find any useful physical evidence. The area was searched, but we failed to find either the missing left shoe or the woman's purse, if she'd carried one. We put in a call to the Hollywood Receiving Hospital. Dr. Elwin Terrell told us that the victim was suffering from a fracture of the skull and apparently several broken ribs. He told us that the woman was in a deep coma and she couldn't be questioned at that time. We asked him to contact us at the business office in the event that she regained consciousness. We questioned the people in the neighborhood, but they were of no aid. None of them recalled hearing any automobiles on the streets, and none of them could testify as to the people loitering in the area. 1.10 a.m. We took Cecil Johnson and had him detained at the city jail pending further investigation. A check of his record showed that he'd been sent to Camarillo twice on charges of molesting and violation of Section 245 P.C. He'd been released into the custody of his sister three weeks previously. Before he was placed in a cell, we got the name and address of the bar where he said he'd met the woman he called Grace. 1.40 a.m. Frank and I drove out to the place. It was located on Hollywood Boulevard near Las Palmas Avenue. There was only one other customer in the place when we went in. The bartender was cleaning up for the night. What'll it be? We're looking for Emil. I'm him. What do you want? It's not about that lousy Jackie, is it? What's that? You're cops, aren't you? Isn't this about Jackie? We're police officers, yeah. You gotta understand, I thought he was an actor. You know, I thought he was just hanging around the place to take work calls. That's what he told me. I didn't have no way of knowing different. It's the truth. We don't know anything about Jackie. We'd like to ask you some questions about a man named Cecil Johnson. That crackpot? 
You know, I thought you were after me because of Jackie. Oh, there it goes again. Excuse me. Yeah. Hello? Here it is. No, he ain't here anymore. What? I don't care how the horse did. Jackie ain't here. Now, don't call me no more. You see, this guy Jackie's a book. All the time he's using my phone and I don't know it. Yesterday, a couple of cops come in and put the arm on him. All day, the phone's been ringing. Yeah. From what they say, he's lucky he got arrested. He must have lost his shirt yesterday. Horse came in that paid 20 to 1. Boy, he really must have had it. I see. Now, what do you know about the Cecil Johnson? That creep. Real creep. Did you see him tonight? Yeah, he was in. About what time? Let's see, it was uh, just before the fight on TV. That'll make it about 6.45. Yeah, about then, about 6.45. He come in alone? Oh, yeah, always does. He don't have no friends. What time did he leave, do you remember? Oh, he stayed around and watched the fight. Got into an argument with a the guy. Then he left about, uh, let's see, I guess it must have been about 9.30, quarter of 10. You know a woman named Grace? We understand she's in here quite a bit. Grace, huh? Well, we got a couple of Graces come in here. What's yours look like? About 42, dark hair, wearing a tweed coat. Excuse me a minute, huh? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, it is. No, he's not here. He won't be back, so stop calling. I don't care if it did pay that. Look, but I got no part in the action. Now, forget the number. Huh? Jackie's gone. He's in the can. Yeah, he's pinched. Now, lay off, huh? Now, let's see. Dark hair, tweed coat. Oh, yeah, that'll be Grace Dillon. Dillon? Yeah, she's pretty much of a regular. Yeah, I guess so. D-I-L-L-O-N. I guess that's the way to spell it. Well, what's all the questions? Something wrong? What time was she in here tonight? Who says she was? Well, that's what we understand. Oh. Oh, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong around here. No reason not to cooperate. She was here, come in about 8. What time did she leave? Well, I guess it was 9.30, 9.45. she leave alone? I gotta think about that. All right. Lots of people in here with the fights, you know. Let me think. Uh, I'm gonna tear that thing right out of the wall. He ain't here. He's been pinched. I don't know when he'll be back, and I don't care. You know, come to think about it, I think she left with that Cecil. Johnson? Yeah. He's one of them that much to drink, you know? Well, Cecil had a couple of beers. It's all he needs. Don't take much with him. How about the Dillon woman? She was feeling no pain when she got here. Really carrying a load. I finally told her to take a walk, told her I couldn't serve her no more. That's when she left. Her and Cecil were sitting right there next to each other. When I told her I wouldn't pour no more for her, she got hacked and her and Cecil left. You know where she lived? Not right off. I-, I can look it up. We keep a list of people who come in here, send them announcements about things, like when we get a new piano play, things like that. Oh, I see. I can look it up for you. Just take a minute. Fine, thanks. C-A-B-C. Oh, here it is. Darby, Dexter, Dibbs. I wish he'd come in and pick up the tab again. Oh, let's see here. Here it is. Here it is. 2917 Ledgewood Drive. 2917. Thank you. You can take the card if you want. Don't make any difference to me if she never comes back. The way she carried on tonight. People just don't understand. What's that? You can just serve them so much. After that, you're pouring a hundred-proof trouble. You gotta shut them off sometime. Uh-huh. She ever come in here with her husband? Dylan? Yeah. A couple of times. Quite a while ago, though. They came in late one night, sat back there in the booth, had a couple of quick belts. He drinks Irish whiskey, likes it neat. Had a big beef. I finally had to go back and ask him to go out. He's a real bum. He's mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The kind of guy where to know him is to hate him. You know the kind? Yeah. He ain't here. I don't care how much you lost. He's in the can and what... What? Oh, yeah, honey. Well, I didn't know it was you. Uh-huh. Hey, yeah, I'll be home early as soon as I close up. Right. Yeah, well, I do, too. What? All right, honey. I love you. 
I do, too, mean it. Look, honey, there's a, there's a couple of men here I got to talk to. Huh? Well, yeah, as soon as I close up, yeah. Uh, uh, goodbye, honey. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. There, bye. It's the, it's the wife. We've just been married a couple of weeks. She's kind of a, you know. Yeah. Did Dylan ever hit his wife, would you know? Yeah, he did. She came in here one night with a mouse that had no end. Said her old man gave it to her. Say, what's all this about anyway? There's something wrong with Grace? Something happened to her? Well, we don't know yet. Well, let me give you this for free. If there's anything happened to her, six to an even was her old man. It's a real bum. He's mean. Anything wrong, and it's him that caused it. You better talk to him. You'll find out. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, sir, we will. Thanks. No, not at all. Glad to help out. All right. Good night. Uh, say, you guys going downtown? Yeah, that's right. To the jail? Yeah. Well, if you see Jackie, will you give him a message for me? All right. What's that? Tell him if he gets out, I don't want him back here no more. Okay. Guy ties up my phone. Two twenty-six a.m. We got a description of the victim's husband and checked the name through R and I. We were unable to come up with any criminal record on him. Frank and I drove out to the address given us by the bartender. It was a large English stucco house, five blocks from where Grace Dillon had been found. We rang the bell and waited. An elderly woman answered the door and told us that Herman Dillon was not in. She explained that she was a babysitter and that she'd been called to take care of the couple's three children. She went on to say that Mr. Dillon left the house at approximately 10.15 p.m. and had not yet returned. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout to be set up on the house. While we waited for the officers to arrive, the babysitter told us that the Dillons had constant fights. She said that on several occasions, Mr. Dillon threatened to kill his wife if she didn't spend more time at home taking care of the children. She went on to explain that there'd been an argument that evening and that after a loud fight, the wife had left the house. After she'd been gone for over an hour, Herman Dillon left to find her. 3.02 a.m. The officers arrived. We asked them to wait for the husband to return and then to notify us immediately. Frank and I drove downtown and checked into the crime lab. We talked with Lieutenant Lee Jones regarding his findings. He told us that he'd gone over the victim's clothing, but he was unable to find any physical evidence to help us in finding her assailant. 3.46 a.m. We checked into the office and put in a call to the hospital. How do you spell that, Doc? Huh? Yeah. A-D-E. Yes, sir. Do you have any idea when that might be? I see, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, if you'll let us know. Right. Yeah, the business office here will know how to reach us. Right. Thanks again. Good night, Doc. How is she? Well, the doctor says he's finished his examination. She's got a frontal bone fracture, three broken ribs, cuts, and contusions. She going to be all right? Yeah, you think so. So she might come out of it any time. Says it looks like she might have been thrown from a car. Well, that'd explain the missing shoe and purse, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do you have any idea when we can talk to her? No, might not do any good anyway. What do you mean? Well, the doc says this kind of fracture can produce a retrograde amnesia. Huh? She won't remember anything. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. signed out of the office and we went home. At 5.13 a.m., I got a call that the husband of the victim, Herman Dillon, had returned home. The officers who called said that they were bringing him down to the city hall. I got in touch with Frank, and by the time we got to the squad room, Dillon was already there. He appeared dazed and acted as if he'd been drinking heavily. We sent out for some black coffee for him. He apparently didn't know what had happened to his wife. What's all this about, anyway? What are you dragging me out of my house like this for? Got a few questions we want to ask you, Dillon. What do you got that's so important you got to go through it at six in the morning? Why don't you see your wife last? 
About 7.30 last night. Why? How do you and your wife get along? We've been married for 10 years. Not much of an answer, mister. You're not married. Been married 10 years and that's an answer. Been married 10 years, it's all the answer you need. Well, maybe you better spell it out for me. After that long, you have a few disagreements. Bound to. You know, being together all that time. You and your wife have a disagreement last night, did you? Yeah, we had a discussion. What about? I don't think that's any of your business. Yeah, well, maybe it is. Now, what'd you argue about? A running around. Wasn't a real argument, just a discussion. Well, we got it. It was more than that. And you got it wrong. We heard you hit her a couple of times. That's a lie. I might have shoved her a little. She had it coming, though, all the time running around. We got three kids, three little kids, and she doesn't care that for them. Always going out, hanging around those cheap bars, boozing it up. I came home the other night. She'd walked out and left the kids all alone, all by themselves. Didn't even get a sitter for them. Where you been tonight? Why? Why you have to know that? You want to tell us? Yeah. After Grace and me had the fight, she walked out. I waited for her to come home. Then when she didn't, I went out to find her. Did you? Hmm? Did you find her? No, I looked all over for her. All the bars along the boulevard, but she wasn't there. Where you been since the bars closed? Walking around. And all this rain? Yeah. I've been trying to figure out what to do. Trying to make up my mind. About what? What I should do with Grace. Things can't go on like this. They just can't. We've heard from some of your wife's friends that you made threats in their life. Is that right? Who told you that? We just heard it. Is it true? Yeah, I suppose so. If I'd have found her tonight, I'd have maybe killed her. I've never been so mad before. You see anybody you knew tonight? What? When you were walking around, did you see anybody you knew? No, why? When you got no way to prove where you were. Why'd I have to do that? Might make things easier on you. Hey, what's this all about, anyway? Why are you asking all these questions about me and Grace? What are you trying to say? Where is Grace, you know? Yeah. Well, where is she? What's happened to her? She's in the hospital. She's had an accident. It's pretty bad. What kind of an accident? Looks like she was beaten. And you think I did it? Might have been you. She lied? Yeah. You think I beat her up? Did you? No. I maybe wanted to, knock some sense into her, but I didn't do it. You prove where you were tonight? Why? Can you prove where you were? No, I don't even know myself. Hey, you, you really think I did it? That's what we're trying to find out. You know, I was pretty drunk tonight. I got real loaded. That's a terrible part. Yeah, let me see your hands, will you? Why? Let me see them. All right. Put them up there, both of them. Yeah. Where'd you get those bruises? I don't know. I don't remember. You better try. This is pretty important. I told you I was drunk. There's only one thing that'll put bruises like that on your hands. Yeah? You hit something pretty hard. Herman Dillon was detained pending further investigation. We'd called the hospital, but there was no change in Mrs. Dillon's condition. Because of the lack of physical evidence, her testimony was essential in apprehending the person who'd beaten her. We had two prime suspects. Cecil Johnson, who was known to have been in her company when she left the bar. Johnson's record indicated that he was capable of committing the crime. On the other hand, the victim's husband had stated that he might kill her. He was unable to explain his movements at the time of the attack. The only person who could tell us the true story was the victim herself, and we had the doctor's statement that she might not remember the events immediately leading up to the beating. At 10.14 a.m. the following morning, the officer called from the hospital telling us that Mrs. Dillon had regained consciousness and could be questioned. The doctor told us that she was calling for her husband and asked that we bring Dillon with us. We went by the city jail and picked him up, and then we drove over to the hospital. The doctor told us that Mrs. Dillon was in a weak condition and that we couldn't talk to her at any length. Frank, Dillon, and I went into her room and waited for her to open her eyes. Is that you, Herman? Yes, dear. You're not mad at me, are you? You're not still mad at me? No, dear, I'm not. Alaska. I was afraid you still were mad. You know, Herman, you shouldn't have hit me like you did. I know maybe I had a reason, but you shouldn't have hit me. Can you tell us what happened, Mrs. Dillon? 
Who are you? Police officers. What are you doing here? Trying to find out who did this to you. Wasn't anybody did it. Ma'am? Wasn't anybody. I did it myself. Really did it all by myself. I don't believe I understand, Miss Dillon. Him and me had a fight and I walked out. I was going to leave him. Went down and had a few drinks, just a few. And I got to thinking about me and Herman. How I was such a bad wife. I got to thinking about the kids and how I was a bad mother. You aren't still mad at me, are you, Herman? Really, in your heart? No, Grace, I'm glad you're going to be all right. That's all that counts. You want to tell us what happened, Miss Dillon, please? I was on my way home. I was going back. Cecil was walking home with me. It was raining pretty hard, and we came to a gutter that was full of water. I stepped up on the curb to go around it. I didn't want to step in the water, and I fell. Fell down the hill, rolled all the way to the bottom, all the way to the next street. I remember falling. I remember laying in the street down below and how I couldn't move. I didn't know about anything else after that. Until just when you got here, Len, I don't remember much of anything. You mean that you fell down yourself, but nobody beat you up, huh? No. Herman hit me when I was home. He got mad at me and hit me. But he was right. You were right, honey. Real right. First going to be different, I promise you. Just as long as you ain't still mad at me, that's all that matters, that you ain't mad. Now, take it easy, honey. Everything's going to be all right. Just take it easy and try to get some sleep. I love you, Herman. I love you very much. And I'm going to make it all up to you, all the bad times. I'm going to make it all up to you. I love you too, Grace. You go to sleep. Get some rest. All right, honey. All right, thank you, Miss Dillon. We better go. You going to want me anymore, Sergeant? No, I don't think so. I wonder if she means it. If she really does. What's that? About making it up to the kids, how things are going to be different. Well, I don't know. She said she would. That's just it. You said it so many times before. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 18th, a meeting was held in the captain's office homicide division. In a moment, the results of that meeting. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, we've been getting letters from people all over the country telling us that they've switched to Chesterfield. Now, just as I've been telling you, thousands of smokers are changing to Chesterfield because only Chesterfield gives proof of low nicotine, highest quality. That's why I recommend you try them today. Regular or king size, Chesterfields are really mild, really satisfying. Best for you. Since no crime had been committed, no legal action was taken against Mr. and Mrs. Dillon. Cecil August Johnson was removed to room 5, Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, for further psychiatric examination. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Frazier. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Jack Crucian, Vivi Janis, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. 
Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Sinatra as Rocky Fortune tonight on the NBC Radio Network. Stay tuned for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the Martin and Lewis Show. In 1945, Dean Martin met a young Jerry Lewis at the Glass Hat Club in New York City, where both men were performing. Martin and Lewis debuted at Atlantic City's 500 Club, July 25, 1946. And Lewis suggested to the club owner that Martin would be a good replacement for the scheduled singer who was unavailable. The duo were not well received. The owner, Skinny D'Amato, threatened to terminate their contract if the act didn't improve. Well, Martin and Lewis disposed of their pre-scripted gags and began improvising. Martin sang, and Lewis, dressed as a busboy, dropped plates and made a shambles of Martin's songs and a mockery of the club's decorum. They performed slapstick and delivered vaudeville jokes to great fanfare. Well, their success at the 500 Club led to a series of well-paying engagements along the eastern seaboard, culminating with a run at New York's Copacabana Club. Martin and Lewis were the hottest act in America during the early 50s, as well the highest-paid act in show business. An NBC radio series, The Martin and Lewis Show, ran from 1948 through to 1943. We go back to that final year of 1953 to catch them in the episode where they welcome Georgie Jessel, who is known as the Toastmaster General of the United States. Our guest tonight, George Jessel, featuring Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dix DeVille and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin. We're writing songs of love, but not for me. Gentlemen, you have just heard my partner Jerry Lewis singing. Your ears are not out of order. <laughs> oh, you're so smart, Dean Martin. I could have had a great voice. I should have stuck with my singing when I was a kid. Why? You're stuck enough with it now. <laughs> hey, Jerry, pardon me for butting in. Yeah, what is it, Ben? One of these days, you'll be great in television. I'm glad you think so, Ben, because I just auditioned an act for television. Say, that's wonderful. Jerry, tell Ben the truth. Jerry. Tell him the truth? You tell him the truth. Go on, testify. <laughs> you mean Jerry didn't audition an act for television? Well, not quite. When we took our clothes down to the laundromat, Jerry locked himself in a Bendix washer and did Milton Burrell imitations through the window. <laughs> A story and also completely untrue. Well, that's a shame. I thought it sounded like a great idea. You did? Sure. <laughs> For an encore, I blew soapy bubbles out of my ears. <laughs> oh, Jerry. The act wasn't funny, but it sure was clean. Jerry, why don't you stop? You should have seen me with you. I got in variety. It said Jerry Lewis. No soap. <laughs> Jerry, 
Mary! What you all the time yelling at me like a big shot for? What you all the time yelling at me like a big shot for? That's as bad as throw the horse over the fence some hay. <laughs> Don't get smart with me, Dean Martin. You only made one picture, too. Say, fellas, what's this I read in the papers about you making your next picture at 20th Century Fox? Well, we're not so sure about it. Not after what happened to us. After what happened to you? What was that? Well, one morning we walked into that Hollywood nightclub of ours. There was a sweet little old lady waiting for us. Good morning. Are you Mr. Martin and Mr. Lewis? Yes, we are. Well, my name is Pruella Quid. I'm looking for a job as a cigarette girl. <laughs> Cigarette girl? Why should a sweet old lady like you want to be a cigarette girl? That's what I've always been. Just a cigarette girl waiting for a man who knows tobacco best. <laughs> well, I, I don't understand, Miss Quid. Uh, why did you choose to be a cigarette girl all your life? I couldn't help it. You see, before I was born, my mother was frightened by F.E. Boone. <laughs> Well, we're awfully sorry, Miss Quid, but our cigarette girl will have to be very young and attractive. Oh, don't you worry about that. When I get my mascara on and my wrinkle putty, I'm cute as a bug. Well, Miss Quid, suppose we think it over. Where can we find you? At the Griffin Manor. I'm living with my mother and my older sister. You see, I'm the baby. <laughs> Well, if we decide to hire you, we know where to get you now. Thanks and goodbye, Miss Quinn. Goodbye. You know, Dean, maybe we should consider her. She'd be different. Oh, now, Jerry, we've got more important things to think about. If we don't line up another picture, we're liable to slip right out of sight. Yeah. Why can't we be lucky like Boris Karloff? Look, it says here in the newspaper, three studios want him. Gee, Dean, if only one of us was ugly. Well, look at this story here Rita Hayworth expecting Can't you just see the doctor Coming out to Ali Khan and saying You are now the father of a bouncing baby boy Weight 52 carats <laughs> Oh, now, Jerry, I doubt that would happen Hey, Dean, Dean Look what it says here in the newspaper. What, what? Daryl Zanuck looking for new young comedians. That's us, Dean. That's us. Now, now, now take it easy and don't, don't get excited. We gotta act like, like we're not anxious at all. Uh, don't rush into anything and, and play very, very hard to get. Okay, we played long enough. <laughs> now, now, let's get out to the studio and uh, see him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jerry. Calm down. We don't know Daryl Zanuck. We'd have an awful time trying to get in to see him. No, we wouldn't. He'll see Betty Grable anytime. I'll just make myself up to look like Betty Grable. Jerry, how could you possibly make yourself look like Betty Grable? Oh, Dean, think of a way and we'll both be so happy. <laughs> now, now, let's just uh, think this thing out. Who would know Mr. Zanuck? Mrs. Zanuck? <laughs> Jerry, you're going to be sensible. You talk like a man with two heads. I talk like a man with two heads. Me, Jerry Lewis, two heads. Say, Jerry. Yes, Sam? Doing anything later? No. Then how about me using a body tonight? No, I might go out later. <laughs> Why can't I have a 
charge the body. After all, I'm the older head. Oh, we agreed that I'd have charge of the body this week. Now, don't bother me. <laughs> now, Lehigh is waiting. He must dance. I like to sing. That's another thing. I don't want to have your tunes running through my head anymore. <laughs> all right, Sam. You ask... Which voice am I doing now? All right, Sam. You ask... You ask for it. This body isn't big enough for both of us. One of us has got to go. Jerry! No, Jerry, no. Let's be friends. We're in this thing together. Okay, Sam. We'll shake ears and make up. <laughs> Martin, you have the nerve to say I talk like a man with two heads. Uh, this boy wasn't born. He was booby-hatched. <laughs> Listen, Jerry, there must be somebody who saw us in our picture, my friend there, man, who knows Mr. Zanuck. I got it, Dean. George Jessup. He's the big picture producer. And we know him and he knows Zanuck. Come on, let's go see him. Gee. This 20th Century Fox studio is a big place, isn't it, Dean? Yeah, just keep walking. Hey, Jerry, look. Doesn't this guy coming this way look familiar? Razor blades, shoelaces, chewing gum, screen tests. <laughs> Why, it's Soapy. Yeah, hello, fellas. Well, what are you doing in the studio, Soapy? Why, I am a talent scout. A talent scout? Yeah, yeah, a talent scout. You know, that's uh, almost like a boy scout. You see, uh... I uh, help old ladies across the street. That is, if they have movie possibilities. Well, have you discovered any talent, Soapy? <laughs> have I discovered talent? Oh, why, I discovered June Haver, Hedy Lamar, Ava Gardner, Joan Crawford, Tilly Schultz. Who is Tilly Schultz? She was my only mistake. Soapy, I don't believe you discovered anybody. In fact, I bet you don't know a single person at this studio. Oh, is that so? Hey, look, look. There comes Betty Grable. Oh, boy, it is. Introduce her, Soapy. Yeah, well, okay. All right. Uh, hello, Betty. <laughs> Hiya, Betty. Hello, Betty. Guess Harry's trumpet has deafened her. <laughs> Now, Soap, if you're really in the picture business, tell me, how do we get to Zanuck? Wait, that's very simple. You talk to Sam Goldwyn. Who's Sam Goldwyn? One of the Warner Brothers. <laughs> anyway, Soapy, we're going to see George Jessel. He'll take us to Mr. Zanuck, I'm sure. Well, I got a better idea than that. Look, you see that open window in that building over there? Well, that is the office of Vladimir Gruskin. And he is Daryl Zanuck's right-hand man. Gee. Dean, you go stand under that window, you see, and you sing a song, and this Vladimir Gruskin, he will hear you, and then he will call you in. Go ahead. Try it, Dean. And if you run into any trouble, I'll come in on the second chorus. I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready around a half past eight. Oh, baby, don't believe I want to be there. When the band starts, honey, we just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps, I'm gonna have it tomorrow. Dance both my shoes. I wanna say the jolly roll of blues. Come on tonight at the dark town, strutted ball. I'll be downtown to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready around a half past three. Oh, baby. Don't blame the one when 
the band starts sunny. Just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps, I'm gonna have them on. Dance a foot in the shoe. Shut the window, Jessel. I don't want to hear that street singer again. Yes, Mr. Greskin. Oh, Georgie, uh, tell me, what picture are you producing now? Well, Mr. Greskin, I've just finished, as you know, my new musical, Oh, You Beautiful Doll, and next... Well, I, if I have time, I... That's just it, when you have time. You're never on the lot. You're always flying somewhere around the country to make an after-dinner speech. George, I know you're a famous Toastmaster, but if a grocery store in Pomona opens, there's no reason it can't open without you making a speech. <laughs> I, I know that, and I'm very sorry, Mr. Grusin. It's just that, well, people seem to enjoy a few words from me after dinner. I guess I sort of take the place of bicarbonate of soda. <laughs> Now, you must understand, George, Mr. Zanuck has nothing against your outside activities. But when they interfere with production... Mr. Greskin, don't worry about me. I'll work out something definitely. You'd better work out something, because if I don't find you in the studios more often, you'll be out for good. Very well, Mr. Greskin. I'll go back to my office, if it's still there. Oh, to think that this could happen to me. Me on the verge of being fired. Me, Georgie Jessel, Toastmaster General of the United States, actor, author, comedian, producer. I may be fired. Well, that's Hollywood. One day putting your footprints in cement, the next day you're back mixing it. <laughs> well, what am I going to do if I get fired? I've been an actor all my life. What am I going to do? Well, now let me see. Uh-huh. Nah, I don't want to be governor. <laughs> oh, my goodness, what a fool I've been. I've forgotten my beautiful dulcet singing voice. Who would I have to compete against these days? Vaughn Monroe. <laughs> my cocker spaniel sings lower than him. <laughs> Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog. Sounds like he's humming with a bagel in his mouth. <laughs> Let me see, what could I do? Well, I might get booked into the big nightclubs with a fine orchestra and pretty girls. Wait a minute. Do I still like pretty girls? Yeah, I still do. <laughs> I better go into my office and figure this whole thing out and make some plans. Well, hello, Mr. Jessel. We've been waiting to see you. I'm Martin. The singer? Yes. Well, how are you, Tony? <laughs> You got it wrong. He's Dean Martin, and I'm Lewis. Well, I'm glad you meet you, Lewis. I saw you fight at Madison Square Garden. You. Were... <laughs> uh, no, that was Joe Lewis. Well, for my seats, it could have been anybody, believe me. <laughs> Dean, I thought we knew this guy. Mr. Jessel, you remember us. You saw us at the club. Martin and Lewis. I'm Dean Martin. Oh, of course. I'm just kidding, Dean. How are you? Say, listen, you look sleek and slick. Thanks. And you remember Jerry. Yeah, he looks slack, doesn't he? <laughs> Hey, Mr. Jessel, I've been looking forward to this moment ever since I watched your vaudeville act from my grandmother's lap. Now, just a minute, young man. You couldn't have watched my vaudeville act from your grandmother's lap. Your grandmother must be 20 years older than your mother, and your mother must be 20 years older than you. So if you add that all up, how old would that make me? Why, tell me, is your grandmother like me? (laughs) 
Mr. Jessel, you will admit you're not exactly a child. Well, I didn't say that I was, but I'm not an old guy either. I don't know why people talk the way they do. When I came in tonight, boys, where the fellas say, look, there's Jessel. Other fellas say, gee, he can still walk. <laughs> Dean, did you hear that? Isn't he great? <laughs> he makes it up just like it's funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're only kidding you, Georgie. I love you on the stage, honest. No one could walk out and get the same reaction you could. Oh, now, please. Now, I please. mean it. You're wonderful. I'll never forget the hush that used to fall over the entire audience the minute you told the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Look, don't love me so much. Hate me a little, will you, please? Now, let's all take aside. What brought you two boys to my office? Well, Mr. Jessel, the reason we came to see you is uh, we want to talk to Mr. Zanuck. Well, I don't know about that, boys. Mr. Zanuck is a very hard person to see. But I thought he was looking for comedians. Jerry, that's not the way. Let me try. Look, Mr. Jessel, we know Mr. Zanuck is hard to see, but we figured he'd listen to a man of your ability, your superior stage presence, your captivating voice, and your good looks. Why, when you first... When you first walk in here, I thought you were Gregory Peck. Isn't that funny? Everybody makes that same mistake. <laughs> oh, Dean, I'm so unworthy of you. Boys, I'd like to take you in to see Mrs. Annie, but there are many complications. Now, let me ask you this. Would there be room for me to sing in your nightclub? You? Oh, if you sang, would there be room? <laughs> Georgie, you mean you'd like to take my place and work up there with Jerry? I don't know if you could stay in a pace, old man. I am not afraid to get up there with you, young man, provided you have your hair cut. That is hair, isn't it? What is that? Certainly it's hair. It looks this way because I'm growing my own beret. <laughs> you shouldn't make fun of my head. Yesterday I went to a fortune teller who reads the bumps on people's heads, and he read mine. Now, what did he say? My head has the same plot as I was a male war bride. <laughs> Boys, let's not beat around the jokes. Now, I tell you what I'll do. I'll get you in to see Mr. Zanuck if you let me sing in your club. But we've already got a singer. Dean. Yeah, but he imitates Crosby. Look at me. I imitate anybody. <laughs> well, we'll do almost anything to get in to see Mr. Zanuck. Well, don't make it sound so awful. Remember, I've had quite a reputation as a singer. They even made a motion picture about me. Jessel sings again. <laughs> Wait, I thought that was Jolson Sings Again. The same thing. Listen. California, here I come. Right back where I started from. Open up that golden gate. California, here I He's got an orchestra in his office. <laughs> Did you like that? Yeah, just shake it down. We'll remove the shingles in the morning. <laughs> Georgie, what will it help if you sing like Jolson? Well, I don't have to sing like Jolson. It just happens that we took from the same tonsils, that's all. As a matter of fact, I can be Eddie Cantor. The main difference between us, he has daughters... I had wives. Listen to this. If you knew Susie like I know Susie, oh, 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 what a girl. I had a mustache as cute as a pup. Susie kissed me, and she went to dancing up. If you knew Susie like I know Susie, oh, oh, what a girl. (laughs) 
Well, Jerry, what do you think? Shall we let him sing in the club? What do we need him for? I can do Jesso. Listen to this. One bright and guiding light That got me wrong from right I found in Now, here's what we'll do. I'll tell Mr. Zanuck that I want you boys for a picture. My new picture, Moon Over the Catskills. I'll tell Zanuck, Zanuck, this will be a bigger hit than Oh, You Beautiful Doll on my next picture, Dancing in the Dark. Gee, then it looks like I'll finally get a chance to sing for Mr. Zanuck. Yeah, that'll be wonderful. But maybe you better run over a number now, Dean. Do just for fun the number from our How Wallace picture, My Friend Irma. We'll do it, Jerry. We'll do it. <laughs> Love me, love me, say you love me, just for fun. Softly sigh it, try it, try it, just for fun. If you're close to me, Maybe you'll agree Here at hand That magic land We're seeking constantly Tingle, tingle When we mingle Just for fun Let's pretend we'll never end what we've begun. For if we play at love, we may stay in love. Then you. It's the widest hallway I've ever seen. Well, you see, wide hallways are part of our plan here at 20th Century Fox. It gives the stenographers a sporting chance. <laughs> when they walk by the producers, you know. You mean the producers chase the stenographers? He's young, isn't he? <laughs> uh, Mr. Jessel, are you sure Mr. Gruskin will see us? Of course. Now, come on, fellas, and step lively. Hey, looky. Look who's coming down the hallway. Oh, yeah. Get a load of them high heels. Hiya, hop along. Howdy, boy. I 
love those cowboy boots. Oh, be quiet. Now, listen. Boys, here we are. Remove your hats. We are standing in front of the office of Mr. Valadir Gruskin. Say, Mr. Jessel, this seems pretty easy. Can anyone just go into Mr. Gruskin's office? I should say not. Mr. Gruskin is one of the world's most carefully guarded executives. He is, huh? Now, come on. I'll open his office door. Run for your lives. It's mighty Joe Young. All right, Jerry. <clears throat> Mr. Gruskin, may I present Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, gentlemen, Mr. Vladimir Gruskin. Georgie, I told you before not to bring bookies into my office. <laughs> bookies? Mr. Gruskin, we are actors. Actors? <laughs> sure, ain't we, Dean? <laughs> well, of course. How now, brown cow? <laughs> Look here, Georgie, I'm a very busy man, and look, I can't... Look, look, you've got to give these boys a chance, Mr. Gruskin. They're really great actors. They can do anything. From Barry Fitzgerald to Clark Gable. These boys are... I got to agree with you, Dimmy boy. Another time that I'm really going to see you, but I don't know now. Hello, baby. <laughs> now, just a minute, boys, and get... Even though I'm never going to see them, we're going to see them, but I don't know now. Hello, baby. <laughs> don't overdo this thing. Even though Get by, baby. Oh, shut up! <laughs> My job is at stake. You gotta just give Georgie, me. Georgie, I'm a very busy man. If these boys have any acting ability at all, please have them do a scene for me. A scene? Mr. Gruskin, these gentlemen have a whole screenplay they're gonna do for you. They have a movie all planned out. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Now go ahead, fellas. This is your big chance. Okay, here we go. Now just imagine this, Mr. Gruskin. We're inside a movie theater, one of the biggest movie theaters in the whole world. Lights go dim. The title of the picture's flashed on the screen. 20th Century Fox presents that great picture that all the world has been waiting for. Bulldog Drummond bites Lassie. <laughs> the greatest picture ever made. It's colossal. It's terrific. It's a re-release. <laughs> but it's the greatest picture that was ever made. Just look at the cast. Martin and Lewis, Gary Cooper. Martin and Lewis, Ingrid Bergman. Martin and Lewis, Ronald Coleman. Martin and Lewis, Joan Crawford. Martin and Lewis, James Mason. Martin and Lewis, Claudia Cover. Yes, Martin and Lewis, yes, uh, wait a minute. George Reff. Martin and Lewis, wait Reddy Young. Martin and Lewis, Angie Tracy. Martin and Lewis, Jennifer Jones. Martin and wait Lewis. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the matter? Don't you like Jennifer Jones? <laughs> Here, I'm a busy man. Now, just a minute. Boss, this is a great street. Now, let the boys tell it to you. Believe me, this is what the studio needs. Go ahead, boys. It is? Very well, then. Continue, gentlemen. Thanks, boys. Now, the picture begins. What a story. What a story. Picture, if you will, a small, dirty room in a broken-down tenement house. A young girl is sitting in a broken-down chair next to a broken-down table. She is holding a broken-down baby. (laughs) And now... Now comes the real dramatic part of the story. Yes, this is a tragedy that happens every day. It's the story of a young girl with an unmarried baby. (laughs) Now, look 
joke has gone far enough. Take these bookies out of here. <laughs> they can do something else besides not acting. Yeah, we're singing. <laughs> I'm sorry. He got a funny line. Let him keep it. Johnny Newcomer. <laughs> well, I don't want to hear any singers. But we're good singers. I don't want to hear any singers. But, boss, the boys and I have whipped up a little arrangement. That's not... I don't want to hear any arrangements. I hate singers. But this song is Oh, You Beautiful Doll, a song from the picture, my picture, Oh, You Beautiful Doll, a 20th Century Fox production. Well, what are we waiting for? I love it. <laughs> oh, you beautiful doll, you great, big, beautiful. I ran my fingers through her hair. Oh, how I wish that she was there. Let the minds about you. I could never live without you. Oh, you beautiful girl. You're great, big, beautiful. When I see a girl like you, who but I always make a boo-boo. How my heart will ache. I want to hug you, but I fear you'll break. Oh, 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 you beautiful girl. George, for coming on our show. Can we make a picture at your studio? No. Please, no. Please, no. Please, no. Because you're no beautiful doll. I'm only kidding. We know it, Georgie. Oh, you What do you think? Yeah, uh, what did you think? You all like it, Mr. Graskin? <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Get these bookies out of here. <laughs> what about me? My fish is in the balance. Am I still a producer or what am I? Georgie. Yes, boss. Here's two dollars. Put it on citation to win. Thank Good you. night, Georgie. Thanks for everything. Good night, everybody. See you next week, My friend Irma. This is Ben Alexander suggesting you tune in to your NBC station each Friday evening, this same hour, for the Martin and Lewis Show. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by the Bob Hope Show. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.